1: today we're all looking for ways to save that's why I want to tell you about HealthLock what is HealthLock? HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance and monitors your medical claims as they come in then flags any hidden errors like overbilling, wrong codes and fraud you can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills to save visit HealthLock.com do it today before you see another healthcare provider that's
0: or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast, and this is Fast Politics where we discuss the top political headlines with some of today's best minds. And President Biden says, you can't love your country only when you win. We have such an interesting show today. Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg stops by to talk to us about Democrats going on Fox News and midterm voter values. And then we're lucky enough to be joined by Justice Democrats Waleed Shaheed, who will tell us about what he's seeing as we head into the midterms. But first, we have the Time of Monsters podcaster and writer at the Nation, Jeet here. Welcome to Fast Politics, Jeet here. That's me. (laughs) How happy are you that you live in Canada?
2: Pretty happy, although uh, there's some dark clouds on the horizon even here. We have the head of the uh, Ontario Conservative Party to give you an idea of what things are like here, is a huge fan of both Richard Nixon and Roger Stone. He's been tweeting about how much he loves Roger Stone. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, the old joke is uh, America sneezes and Canada gets a cold. (laughs) We're
1: not going to prognosticate, but we can talk about the state of American democracy because why shouldn't we? Let's talk about it right now. Are you as worried as President Biden about the state of American democracy?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I I think that... uh you know, I mean, your longtime listeners will know all the reasons to be concerned about the sort of authoritarian turn of the GOP. What we're seeing in this election is like it goes far beyond Trump. One thing that struck out to me was the um, Republican gubernatorial candidate in uh, Wisconsin basically said if he wins, you know, Republicans will never lose again in Wisconsin, you know? Right,
1: <laughs> so, right, right. Yeah, not a great sign for democracy right there.
2: That's not a great sign. No, I mean, I, I just think like they are absolutely, and one sees in, especially those Great Lakes states, but also places like North Carolina. You know, what happens when Republicans take control at the state level? Like they they will gerrymander in a way where like Democrats could, as they have, you know, get, you know, not just 51%, but 55% or 58% and still be a minority party. So I just think it, it's a very dire situation. And yeah, I mean, I you know, we won't predict, but there's a you know, real possibility, you know, both the House and the Senate could be Republican. And I think beyond that, I mean, beyond the sort of state of democracy, I think it's important to understand the dynamics within the Republican Party that are going to make things very dire. And I think it's good to go back to the sort of, election of nineteen ninety four with Newt Gingrich mm. and what happened there. Because Gingrich was able to win by, you know, by being very demagogic, painting the Democrats as corrupt, and really stirring up the, you know, the the fruitcakes and you know people, the black helicopter people like Helen Chenoweth, the militia people. And they, they won. They won. They won dirty, but they won. But the thing is that Gingrich himself, you know, who's like not a, a wilting flower, he could not control his own party because they had elected so many far-right people and they were a big part of the caucus and they thought, you know, and Gingrich didn't want the impeachment. I mean, this is something worth remembering. Right. Gingrich thought it was bad politics to impeach Bill Clinton over, you know, what is, you know, like an activity that many people enjoy.
1: Yes, thank you for
2: that reminder. I think your, your your mother has written about. Yes, thanks. Oh, another great reminder. But Gingrich could not control his own caucus because they had, you know, had an extreme fringe caucus. You know, like and Gingrich looks like a giant. He looks like Abraham freaking Lincoln <laughs> compared to like <laughs> you know M- 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 McCarthy. And so McCarthy, if the, 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 let's say the Republicans win in the House, McCarthy is like the speaker. He's not going to be able to control the crazies and they will absolutely at a minimum I'm calling it now we're going to see the impeachment of Joe Biden. Over what?
1: I don't know. And the Homeland Security Secretary. I mean, Mallorca. Yeah, yeah. I think we're going to see endless
2: endless yeah, impeachments and investigations and yeah. over like, you know, you know, you you named your son Hunter. That's an impeachable offense, right?
1: Like I'm fully expecting to be called up there. You know, I mean, they're just going to anyone who annoys them is going to end up with a congressional uh, investigation, I think. And that is like both scary and also, um, I think, imminent. But I do think ultimately that will backfire on them, hopefully, if we have democracy in place. But if we don't
2: have democracy in place, it won't matter. It will be an overreach, and you know, if, if the nineteen nineties and uh, even more recent histories any guide, it'll kill him in twenty four. I think we should underestimate the amount of damage that they can do. And right. one is these investigations, and probably a phony impeachment over nothing. The second is that they're going to try to use the leverage the debt and leverage the debt ceiling to try to push through like you know Medicare and Social Security cuts. And you know, like again. You're going to have the most extreme Republican Congress ever. And, you know, like they might pull the trigger on stuff that other previous Congresses weren't willing to do. And, you know, like we could have a real financial crisis.
1: And they're already talking about fucking around with the debt ceiling.
2: They, 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 well, yeah, they are talking about it. And I think they're going to do it. I mean, I think we have to take these people at their word. I think we have to understand the dynamic, which is that if they're not willing to, like, you know, sanction Marjorie Taylor Greene, for, like, saying, like, just the most mm-hmm. horrific stuff, right. and we're really literally hanging out with Nazis, then, you know, like, that that really means that Marjorie Taylor Greene and that faction of the Republican Party is in charge. Yeah. And they will they will be, like, in the driver's seat. I think it's going to be grim. I mean, like, you know, like, American politics, I think, at least since Obama was elected, have been a seesaw, right? Right. Like, it's a 50, you know, it's a 51-49 country, 52-48. And so, you know, like... In off years, Republicans can gain some victories and but then they'll get pushback. So they will be pushed back. So that's the robust side of democracy. Like I think I don't think they could end democracy quickly enough to stop like, you know, like a democratic wave coming in 2024. But it's gonna be really rocky and really dangerous. And I think they're gonna be fool around with stuff like the economy.
1: Right. And the debt ceiling. And foreign policy. Right. Money to Ukraine. They already said they're gonna do that.
2: Absolutely. And if you look at like the polling, half of the um Republicans Republicans already think, like, you know, America doing too much for Ukraine. I think that's going to be, like, really... Uh, uh, but even beyond Ukraine, I mean, I think one of the interesting things is, that like, you know, in the Cold War and even beyond the Cold War into Clinton and Bush, you did have a kind of foreign policy consensus and, you know, like... Republicans and Democrats agreeing on some issues some of the time. That's kind of broken down. And you really see like, you know, Republicans like aligning themselves. One can say too much about like maybe Putin, but certainly with like Netanyahu, certainly with the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, like these are like foreign leaders who like are not like the foreign leaders of the past who think like, well, we got to keep both Democrats and Republicans happy because either one could be in power. They've like really like put all their chips into the Republican Party. What happened is the foreign policy when you have like you know one party that uh, where there's no consensus and one party is willing to you know work with regimes that are fairly hostile to the U.S. and Mohammed bin Salman already did the GOP a huge, like, favor, you know? Like, he did, them, he did them a solid.
1: Because of raising the gas prices?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. By, by raising the gas prices a month before the election.
1: Think about if a Republican had been president and Mohammed bin Salman had been like, fuck you, we're going to raise gas prices. This is fun for us. We're OPEC. This is what we do. Imagine if Trump had been president. What do you think he would have done? I mean, gone to war with Saudi Arabia? Uh,
2: yeah, at least we're really threatened. I mean, I think Obama was Right, in the sense that like Trump is a little bit wary of actually like full military action, but he would certainly be making you know he'd be certainly tweeting out like you know, like, yeah, we're we're gonna bomb you, we'll take over the oil fields. And to some degree, Democrats are a little bit playing catch-up, but you did see some Democrats talking about ending the Saudi alliance. And I think you're gonna see more and more of that. But I mean, what I want to say is the broader picture, which is that you can't have a normal system of the United States being allied with certain countries and making agreements if you have this sort of seesaw politics and this sort of polarized politics because whatever Biden agreement Biden makes with the Ukrainians or with Israel or Saudi Arabia, he's got to know that that's all up for grabs now. And the Congress actually has a lot of power. People think, well, the president runs foreign policy, but you know, Congress actually has quite a bit of power to like actually check that. And especially in terms of like where funding goes, I just kind of think it's going to be a real period of instability. I, I just think, like, you know, I'm really not sure like how you govern a country in that situation where you have a party that is so nihilistic and so willing to, like, you know, like just do everything for partisan gain, everything as just really so focused on power that everything else goes out out the window, including, you know, the idea that you shouldn't work with uh, foreign regimes to undermine your own government.
1: There is no idea of cheating in this new Republican Party, right? Because all that's valued is winning. And so I do think we're ultimately... You know, if truth doesn't exist, I wrote about this like post-truth midterm phenomenon. And if truth doesn't exist and none of our norms exist. I mean, what stops anyone? I mean, maybe nothing stops any of them.
2: Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. And I I mean, I think that, you know, the attack on uh, the Pelosi household and, you know, the the horrific thing with Paul Pelosi, like kind of illustrates this just like on a very basic human level, like to have a functioning society. uh, And that includes, you know, like just a society as well as a politics but includes politics you kind of have to like see other people as human right and you have to be like when kennedy was shot like richard nixon you know wrote a letter to Jackie Onassis, you know, Kennedy like or Jackie Kennedy at the time, you know, just saying, like, you know, like how sorry he was. And, you know, there weren't people saying, well, you know, was Oswald in a love triangle?
1: That's why he killed her. Yeah, when, when Reagan was shot. Excuse me. There may be more to this story. Y- you know, a teeny bit more to the story. Yeah.
2: yeah when Reagan was shot, you know, like, you know, there are a lot of people who do that, myself included didn't like Reagan, you know, but you they weren't saying like, well, John Hinckley, you know, like maybe uh, right, man. he and, uh, and uh, Reagan uh, were uh, sharing a trios with uh, Nancy, you know, like <laughs> he wanted to get Reagan out of the picture so he can have Nancy for himself. Like yeah, stuff did not happen. And so when it happens, when you get the situation, and just like even, so you have like, you know, some people, couldn't even remember of Congress spreading these, wacko conspiracy theories. But then other people, the lack of sympathy for Nancy Pelosi, that's just so striking on a human level. Like, how do we have a society where you can't express sympathy for like a person that underwent something like that? I, I, I just don't know. He's 82 years old.
1: It's not like, I mean, I feel like we've seen other political violence where you'd be like, well, you know, but with this, it's like, He's 82 years old. He's still in the hospital, right? I mean, my parents are in their 80s. I don't know. I mean, that was the thing I was surprised by when the Pelosi family was like, we know he's going to make a full recovery. I was like, really? I was like, because the 83 year olds in my life are not I mean, I would not want them to be, a, you know, in the hospital having surgery like that would you know, I'm not convinced that they would make full recoveries.
2: No, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, it's, just a, it's a really horrific thing. But the reaction to it, I mean, it just shows how bad things have gotten. And yeah, I, I think that, like, to me, more than anything, speaks to this democracy crisis. Like, you know, we could talk about, you know, gerrymandering and, like, refusal to accept elections and, and all the attempts to, like, uh, play around with elections. And, and that's all real and serious. But I think it's good to think about these things in human terms. Like, how do you have a society like if you can't express sympathy in that situation. If you have a horrific attack on, you know, someone who's 82 years old, you know, your first inst- instinct is to politically maximize it and to like blame the victim and to just play these games. It really speaks to like a kind of, you know, dehumanized view. And there's a hardcore version of this, which is the QAnon. And, you know, like I, I sort of wrote about this, but QAnon, people need to understand, not just conspiracy theory it is an eliminationist ideology. That is to say, it's based on the idea that the leaders of Democratic Party are all pedophile monsters. Right, and yeah. and right. they need to be executed. And they need to, and then you have these fantasies that maybe Trump secretly executed some of these people. But but it is, it is the type of, you know, pre-1933 Germany situation you know, the Jews are cockroaches or the Rwanda situation, you know, where, you know, you call your enemies like, you know, subhuman and you create a, a warrant, you create a way in which you think about other people that justifies murder. And that's the hardcore version. And the softcore version is, well, you don't necessarily do that, but you kind of minimize it. You, you make up false theories about it. You don't confront it and you don't express any sympathy towards the victims.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like there's a real sense in which we've like crossed this Rubicon. And I still think that if you had a critical mass of Republicans being like, this is not how we do it, you could stop before things are too late. But the problem is, and and I, I think about this a lot, it's like the problem of inflation is that people then feel their money has less value. And that makes everyone crazy. And this is coming from a pandemic where All of us, uh, you know, not all of us, but I certainly thought for a couple weeks there that this was the end of it. Right. So we have pandemic, then inflation. And there's this sort of instability in American life that I think is feeding this craziness. I mean, obviously, right wing leaders are playing up into it. But the reason it's so accessible to them is because of this destabilized American Population? Do you agree or am I crazy?
2: Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. I think that's right. I think that like the sort of what the pandemic and inflation, a lot of people are becoming unmoored and are becoming destabilized. And, you know, one sees it in, you know, people were once normal people, but have somehow, something has happened to them. You know, like I often think of um, this woman, Monica Crawley, who's kind of just a generic, was for years, just a generic Republican, very conservative Fox News type person, but with it, uh, you know, had been an assistant to Richard Nixon. Right. Uh, but still a very stable person. And now you like look at her and she's kind of like tweeting out stuff, you know, these conspiracy theories about the uh, attack on Paul Pelosi. There are people who like were somehow at one point tethered to reality and have become untethered. And I think it's a bunch of different factors that are at work. I mean, I think, you know, even before the COVID, I think Trump himself, you know, was a huge gateway drug just in terms of what he was able to get away with. And he gave permission to other people to to do the same thing, to be the kind of um, conspiratorial and nasty and win at any cost. But certainly like, yeah, I mean, the lack of stability Uh, in society. I mean, it's a big issue. And to be honest, like, I just don't know. Like, I mean, there's a real issue whether the Democrats did enough or, I mean, they didn't have the numbers to do it. But like, you know, one could imagine if they had like a, a bigger victory in 2020 and more people in Congress and the Senate, they could have like, you know, spent a lot more money trying to stabilize American life and getting things back to normal. But unfortunately, What we have is just they themselves have kind of embraced a lot of the austerity politics. And it's like with the feds, you know, like like, you know, Jerome Powell is kind of like, you know, raising up those interest rates. And you see a lot of like these uh, Larry Summers type, you know, saying that wages have gone up too fast. And like it's going to be a really bad combination if the Democrats become the party of austerity in a time where, as you said, we had both COVID and inflation and, you know, like people not knowing where they are. To me, that's my big worry. Like, I think that's the pathway whereby democracy ends.
1: We don't know how it's going to go, and we're not prognosticating. One of the many good things Jesse Cannon, our wonderful producer, has been drilling into my head is that we are not here to prognosticate. And you see these polls, and they're all over the fucking place. So we really don't know how this is going to go down. But it seems to me like Republicans will control certainly some part of our government after January. So, I mean, my sense is... That uh, in my mind, the thing that worries me the most are like the governorship in Arizona, the governorship in Nevada, the places where like their swing states, where they might not count the votes because I don't care about the Senate in in Nevada. I mean, I care, but where the rubber's going to meet the road is going to be the governorship and the secretary of state, right? Because if Democrats get the votes in 24, but then the governor decides we don't do that anymore and we need to, you know, keep recounting until Republicans win, that, I think, is more worrying. I mean, they're all worrying, but that's one of the many worries that keeps me up at night.
2: Yeah, no, I I absolutely agree. I mean, like, uh, we're going to be entering a new world, where at least in some places you have really Trumpized candidates at real levers of power, and we we don't know how to respond to that. We don't know. I mean, I just think. It's just going to be a rocky road. The positive side of polarization is that if, the, as the Republicans do this, more people, more and more people wake up. Right. And I think, like, the fact that the Democrats are competitive at all should be like a saving grace. And like, the fact is that, like, the, you know, like a lot of what the Republicans are doing is very unpopular. In a normal election year, they, this would be a Democratic white vote. And like, actually, the polls show something a little bit closer and some robustness in unexpected places like Ohio. We got to. Ho- I mean, the only way we hope for going forward is. That, like, you know, one has to, people will start waking up and uh, realizing what's going on. And as the danger increases, I hope the opposition to the danger increases.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. And I think that's a really good point. Thank you so much, Cheat. This
2: was so interesting. Uh, Always uh, great to be here. And uh, congratulations on your uh, new ascension, uh, your continued rise in the media uh, now (laughs) in vanity.
3: AI might be the most important new computer technology ever.
1: Today, we're all looking for ways to save, especially on medical bills. That's why I want to tell you about HealthLock. When I first heard about it, I thought, it's about time. This makes sense. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance and monitors your medical claims as they come in for savings. Let's say you, your spouse or kids, see the doctor or other medical provider. When your claims come in, HealthLock automatically renews them and any errors like overbilling wrong codes and fraud so you pay only what you owe this is your money your saving you can even have health lock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills to date health lock has helped members save more than 130 million dollars I get it medical billing errors can happen but you should be able to pay with confidence health lock makes it easy to find and fix hidden medical bill errors to save visit healthlock.com do it today before you see another healthcare provider that's healthlock.com Pete Buttigieg is the United States Secretary of Transportation. Welcome to Fast Politics, Mayor Pete. I know we shouldn't call you Mayor Pete anymore,
4: but... Hey, I'll I'll always answer to Mayor Pete. Once a mayor, (laughs) always a mayor.
1: I am so happy to have you. And I'm so... I want you to explain to us a little bit about what your job is, Transportation Secretary, and what you have been up to in this the sort of time right before the midterms?
4: So this is a, an amazing time for transportation. On one hand, we have never seen this many simultaneous disruptions to transportation systems in my lifetime. And then some if you think about everything from container shipping to airline cancellations and delays and everything in between. But those are mostly for temporary reasons related to the pandemic. Meanwhile, we've also never in my lifetime had this much of a chance to make investments around the country in making transportation better. And those are going to be permanent. So uh, it's been a demanding time for anybody who works in transportation, but also an incredibly exciting time. uh, Because while we fight these fires and the issues that have have come up uh, affecting everything from from goods movement to passenger travel, uh, we're also setting ourselves up for success as a country. And a big part of how I spent my time is looking at how to prioritize the use of these funds to support projects around the country from a port that needs to be upgraded to an airport that's ready for new gates to uh, bridges that need to be improved and keeping money flowing to, to states and, and local governments that are actually going to be doing the bulk of the work
1: will you talk to us about electric car chargers because i feel like that is one of the one of the really kind of most important things that is going to be a transition for us hopefully
4: yeah so uh this is a big change i mean this is the biggest change to driving really since the arrival of the modern auto age that started about 100 years ago. It's where the industry is going. The industry is going electric here and around the world. Uh, but we need to work to make sure that it happens quickly, to make sure that America wins, that it's a made in America EV revolution, that we don't get beat out by other countries, and to make sure that that it's one that, that uh, can reach everybody because we need to make sure these EVs are easy and affordable to use, uh, to own, and to charge so that people can take advantage of. Part of that is making sure we have uh, enough charger. Uh, now, In some ways, charging infrastructure uh, for people who live in single family homes is is quite easy. It's actually less like a traditional car and more like a phone uh, because you can charge at home. On the other hand, if you're out on a road trip or if you're in a multifamily dwelling, if you're in a big city uh, and it's not so simple as just plugging it in in your garage, then we've got to have solutions. And it is going to look different than how we're used to filling up our cars. Uh, again, easier in some ways because many Americans can do it in homework, harder in other ways because you can't just do it in a couple of minutes.
1: You were talking about the sort of disruption of the supply chain. We saw, uh, you know, these ports like with the L.A. port where there were lines and lines and lines and some inflation has been caused by this pandemic disruption. Talk to me about where we are with that as a source of inflation.
4: Dealing with supply chains is part of the fight against inflation. What happens is you have these backups or these bottlenecks. That means uh, shipping prices go up and prices are part of the cost of the things we pay for. So it's definitely part of the equation when it comes to inflation. It's one of the reasons why we've been uh, working on this with such urgency. And we've seen a lot of improvements. Look, this time a year ago, people were saying, you know, it's Christmas canceled. Nobody's going to be able to get gifts. Right. And what wound up happening was the all-time record high in terms of retail sales. This time a year ago, there were 100 ships waiting off the coast of uh la and long beach this year last time i checked it was it was eight or nine so we've seen improvements but we're definitely not out of the woods we've got issues affecting our rail system the availability of truck drivers availability of warehouses you know the good news is demand came back right the rescue plan and other actions that that i believe really are are the result of the president's leadership mean that that people have the income and the inclination to to buy things Uh, but that means that the supply chain has struggled to keep up and that's something we're going to work on with immediate measures but but also importantly a part of how we get at that is the long-term investments i've been talking about when you can add a burst to a container port uh we can add a rail line or improve the way a bridge works all of that adds up to goods moving in a more fluid way and that means lower shipping costs and ultimately that, that's part of how we beat inflation
1: one of the things you've been really good at is going on fox news and sort of being able to message in that right-wing ecosystem. How do you do it? And how can you get all the other Democrats to do it too? <laughs> no pressure. No pressure.
4: Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I would never have guessed coming to last year that uh, a place like Fox News would kind of be a specialty of mine. But I think I, I, I did form certain habits as a, a mayor in a place like Indiana, doing lots of local television, trying to render our priorities in plain English and reach people where they are. That doesn't mean that people are going to tune into Fox and immediately be converted to my point of view. But I do think we need to go into these spaces. We, uh, certainly on my side of the aisle, need to go into spaces where people don't often hear our view because otherwise they'll, they'll believe whatever they're told. How can you blame them for believing the only messages they hear? And I do see more and more colleagues uh, from uh, uh, officeholders uh, who belong to my party who, who've been willing to do it. Uh, I think, you know, you have to draw certain lines or certain bad faith opinion shows, for example, that I'm just not going to go on. But if you can have a reasonably fair hearing, I think it's always worth a shot.
1: Let's just talk about this for a second. We're coming up on the midterms. Explain to me what if you are going to make a case for Democrats, can you talk about the infrastructure because infrastructure is a huge thing that Biden passed. Yep. Sort of give us the little bit of the nuts and bolts of what is going on in your town that Biden has done with American Rescue Plan that should be sort of, you know, when you're talking to your relatives about getting out there and voting.
4: So uh, I'll choose my words carefully just because appearing as secretary means I can't uh, directly with campaigns or elections. But but, but let me say this. The policy achievements of this administration are are something I'm very, very proud of. And we we do need to talk about that because it's easy to forget how far we've come in two years. Two years ago, we were millions of jobs shorter than where we are now with the most people working in the private sector at any time uh, ever. A couple of years ago, we were, you know, people were still saying, oh, is infrastructure really going to happen? Or is it just going to be one more, you know, last administration talked a big game about it. It was infrastructure every week. Yeah, it was infrastructure week all the time, nothing happened. And then, you know, as we were negotiating this bill last year, I think it was declared dead, you know, half a dozen times. We got it done. But, you know, I don't think people really care that much about the ins and outs of legislative victories and defeats. Folks obviously want to know how this is affecting everyday life. And that's why uh, I really try to make sure we're conveying, look, this is how you got this new bridge that's under construction in your neighborhood. This is why you see these new gates coming to the airport that you count on. This is where that new bus line is going to come from. You know, it's coming because uh, the president led and we had a success and we, by the way including a, a handful of republicans crossing the aisle to vote with democrats to get this done more broadly i think it's also important for us to emphasize what's been achieved in terms of the fight against inflation right this is a global fight i mean every developed country is dealing with inflation it's eight nine ten percent in a lot of european countries too but there are different strategies on what to do with it now i have yet to hear any congressional Republican answer to inflation. Right. What I will say is that we have taken a number of steps to take the edge off the cost of living, some of which are outside of my transportation lane, but things like getting insulin down to 35 bucks a month for people on Medicare. You know, we couldn't get one Republican vote to do that, but we got it through. And when we think about coming back to EVs, making EVs cheaper. You know, we we couldn't get any Republican votes to help us with that, but we did it. It passed, and that's going to mean money in the pockets of Americans who can get these vehicles more affordably through the tax credits, and then save money on gas once they have them.
1: I want to just go back again for this idea like Republicans don't really have a plan for inflation.
4: It would be one thing if we were debating our fight, our plan for fighting inflation or their plan for fighting inflation. I'd love to have that debate on the floor of the Senate or House. Right. Um, but we, we haven't seen any. They like to mention inflation because it's a problem. But it, the way they they talk about it makes me sometimes wonder if they see more value in the problem than in solving it, because we haven't heard a lot of solutions.
1: I mean, that speaks to this idea, the same sort of issue with immigration, right? They don't really
4: want to solve that problem either. In fact, many of them have stood in the way of immigration reform that that would put us in a much better position when it comes to these issues we're seeing at the board. So, again, you'll, you'll see an enthusiasm for mentioning the problem remarkably little by way of a solution
1: let's talk about the air i'm not going to talk about fox news as much as i want to talk about the rainbow Fe- how they managed to get everyone upset about rainbow fentanyl yeah,
4: yeah. i mean this is something that, that really upset me not as, as uh, uh you know a democrat but as a transportation sector because there is a very real documented risk for children going out on halloween and it's not drug dealers randomly deciding to give free opioids to to, to children it's car crashes. I mean, that that's where kids get killed or hurt on Halloween every single year. I'm not sure of a single documented case where one of these urban legends of, of you know, drugs or, or whatever being put into candy has been documented and resulting in a serious injury or death of a child, randomly trick-or-treating. But I know of Far, far too many heartbreaking stories of car crashes, and that's something we can do something about. I wish that for every story we got about, you know, fentanyl going into somebody's candy, uh, we had a story about news you can use to keep your kid physically safe when they're trick or treating, because that really is something that that is a, a safety issue to, to to worry about. And by the way, not just on Halloween, more generally, I mean road safety that kills 40,000 people a year. We treat that like it's normal. It's on par with gun deaths in this country. And it's not the same as what you see in other developed countries. Uh, We're taking a lot of steps to deal with that. And it deserves to be talked about. We, We should at least be talking about the real killers. As often as we're talking about the urban legend.
1: Right. No. And I think that's an important point. I mean, this shift on reality that you're seeing through right wing media, how do you even begin to debunk some of this stuff?
4: Well, facts matter. Right. We start by talking about the things that are most important. And it's tricky. Sometimes when you're debunking a myth, you wind up uh, helping to spread the myth. I mean, right. Psychology is weird that way. Uh, so I think often you actually have to blow past it and just get to what actually matters most. Um, and talk about the facts more than we talk about the lies, even if we're talking about the lies for the purpose of exposing them. I also think that we need to bring it back to everyday life, right? So lots of people who will watch and perhaps believe a news story about Andy, yeah, do not think that happened in their, they don't know anybody in their actual life that happened. Right. Lots of people who were tricked into thinking that millions of illegal immigrants voted last year do not think that happened at their precinct. People who believe all kinds of wild things about elections generally actually trust their own local officials to fairly handle elections. So on issue after issue, it's one thing to talk about it in the abstract. It's another to talk about what we're actually experiencing in our actual lives and in your actual, you know, our actual everyday lives. You know, infrastructure is getting improved. Most of us have jobs. We are experiencing higher prices, and there are things that are helping with that. Uh, we, we need to bring this conversation back to the concrete so that you can't get caught up in all this nonsense.
1: Such an interesting point. Um, Mayor Pete, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Waleed Shahid is a senior Democratic strategist and the spokesperson for Justice Democrats. Welcome to Fast Politics, Waleed.
5: Thanks for having me.
1: I'm very excited to have you. Here we are in the run-up to the midterms. Big excitement. What is on your radar?
5: Well, I am really concerned. And, you know, while I think it's really important for people to volunteer, donate, and vote for all the Democrats running up and down the ticket. I'm very nervous given the direction of the past few weeks of media coverage, particularly about cost of living and inflation. And I'm concerned that Democrats haven't really addressed those concerns for a lot of working class and middle class families out there who are struggling to pay the bills, pay for groceries. And that's kind of what's been keeping me up at night. I've had horrible sleep since the weather has changed. <laughs> also, so.
1: well, Jesse and I too. So you are a, a very, very senior Democratic strategist, and you've worked with a lot of our favorite candidates. And one of the things that Bernie has done so well is this ability to talk about the financial, the way that Democrats are committed. And and you know, my grandfather was like very big into labor unions and also communism. And so the idea here <laughs> is that Democrats can help working people. And that's been a message that is very tough for Democrats. For some reason, as a party, they've kind of gotten away from this message, which is really an important message, especially when you're trying to get people to vote for you.
5: On some level, like I can empathize because there's so much other stuff happening. Like the uh, overturning of abortion rights is incredibly important. People are really fired up about that. The threat to our democracy from the Republican Party is incredibly important. There is a constituency of people who are really concerned about that. You know, at the end of the day, my feeling in my personal life, my conversations with people and my family and my friends are that it's their pocketbooks, it's their expenses, it's how much money they have in their bank accounts and their wallets. That's also important. I think because there's been so many crises this past year, we've kind of forgotten the most simple effective message for Democrats is that we're the party for working people no matter where you're from or what your gender is or what your zip code is. But I don't know how many people know this, but like grocery prices have gone up 13% this year. Gas prices have gone up 18%. Rent has increased 7%. Health insurance is up. And these are the biggest increases in a single year in like the past 50 years. And so it's historic what we're witnessing. And I think because it's such a personal problem for so many people and people People have shame around money and that kind of stuff. It just hasn't been uplifted to the kind of crisis that it actually is. And Republicans are running away with the message, even though they have zero solutions to address people's concerns. Well,
1: that's something I think a lot about. Right. Because we have Republicans are like, we're good on crime and we're good on the economy. (laughs) And it's like, I want to point out, like we elected in New York. We all live in New York here. We elected this mayor who was basically a Republican, who was like, I am a cop. I was a cop. And a club promoter. Dude, right. and a club promoter <laughs> and uh, I sleep on a mattress and I live in New Jersey, but again, but he was like, I'm a cop and I'm going to stop crime. Okay. You're a cop. All right. We elected you. When does he stop crime? (laughs)
5: I, I live in a neighborhood, you know, a black working class black immigrant neighborhood where Eric Adams did very, very well. He has an appeal to working class voters of color that I think liberals and progressives shouldn't underestimate. Look, politics is not what we would like it to be. It is often really terrible. And like the local media coverage in New York City, whether you're reading the New York Post or the New York Daily News on the subway, or you're watching local news, or you're just looking at Facebook, it's all these kinds of crazy stories about how you will be murdered tomorrow. (laughs)
1: true.
5: I think sometimes Democrats and progressives and liberals just like laugh at that. But I also think that is like the reality of the media that people are consuming. And I think that there are progressive and liberal arguments to be made on crime that go beyond we fund the cops, because I see a lot of Democratic ads this year that are like, we will fund the police. And I understand why people are doing that. But that is the exact message that Republicans are using. And they will always outfund the police more than you. And so I would love to see democratic messages that like, we also think crime is a problem. We want to reduce crime. That's why we support affordable housing. That's why we support behavioral (laughs) mental health treatment programs that have been You know, there's evidence that shows that those programs are significant in reducing crime. And I don't know, I just think that there could be more effective messages on some of these things that I haven't I haven't really seen this year.
1: Yeah, I want to ask you about that. Like there was some messaging with this Inflation Reduction Act, right? Like the idea is if you're not paying two or three hundred dollars a month for insulin, but you are paying thirty five dollars a month for insulin, that should, right, drug prices being cheaper will theoretically lower the effects of inflation on your lifestyle.
5: Definitely. I mean, that is one of the biggest things that Joe Biden has done. Canceling student debt puts money back in people's pockets. There are significant things that he was able to accomplish. But if Democrats lose the House on Tuesday, like the number one person they're going to blame is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on Wednesday morning. The person who's most to blame on Wednesday is, you know, Joe, Manchin, Kirsten Cinema, Josh Gottheimer, who could have made the Inflation Reduction Act way more expansive on reducing child care costs, on expanding Medicare to include hearing aids, on paid family and sick leave. like th- I think things that people would have really, the concrete material things that people would have been able to point to as having addressed some of the pressure that people are in. But I think it's very, very historically, those three figures I think will go down as like Yeah, we'll just be infamous because there was a real moment where they could have delivered sweeping change. And and I think they they really hamstrung the Democratic Party from being able to present the American people with a huge program that they were able to deliver at a time of crisis.
1: You never want to be the person that Blake Masters is celebrating (laughs) and Blake Masters is declaring his love for Houston cinema.
5: Oh, I didn't see that. He did? Yes. Yeah.
1: In the Daily Mail. Perhaps you've, uh, you may have missed the Daily Mail's political coverage, but.
5: She's like the Liz Cheney for, for the Republican
2: Party.
1: Right. She's Republican <laughs> Liz Cheney. That's a really good yeah. point. <laughs> I just want to get back to this idea of like some of the problem with messaging against Republicans is that Republicans are not bound by the truth. And this is becoming more and more true.
5: Right. You know, if you watch a Republican ad, you um, will think that trans people, immigrants, Black Lives Matter are running the country (laughs) at federal, state and local office. You know, I don't think is factually true. But and then, yeah, all the stuff that's been happening with Elon Musk this week on fact checking very just President Biden's tweets. It's I- incredibly dangerous and scary to think about how you know one of the biggest ways that people get news in this country or and that you know lots of journalists and pol- political people are on like that. The owner of Twitter is just going out of his way to fact check only wa- only the Democrats. Yeah, well, like I'm like Marjorie Taylor Greene every day is tweeting factually inaccurate statements who, and never gets a fact check. Like, just yesterday she was like, Mexicans are coming over the border and bringing in fentanyl and Joe Biden is doing nothing about it. And I'm like, almost every word in that sentence is in, is factually inaccurate. Right. But there's no fact check being given. And yeah, it, it is it is scary.
1: Yeah, I mean, I do think that is a real worry. And, all, and I mean, also, there's like a fundamental problem with billionaires owning our media, right? I mean, and, and then this is just another outgrowth of
5: that. Yeah. I know we wanted to talk about these um, Stephen Miller ads that came out this week. Like,
1: Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about these Stephen
5: Miller ads. <laughs> Related to <laughs> factually just... inaccurate. But it's crazy. I, I keep getting text messages from people all over, like in San Francisco, in Georgia, in New York, in Chicago, who are getting these ads from Stephen Miller, whether it's TV, whether it's on Hulu, whether it's on in mailers, where the ad is basically saying that down. Democrats, whether it's in pandemic relief programs or whether it's uh, employment programs or whether it's social media, that Democrats are racist against white people. The ad has a really big sign that says whites, and sometimes it says whites and Asians need not not apply. And <laughs> this is a tax deductible organization. So whoever's funding them got a tax write-off. I mean, it's so sinister and kind of ingenious of Stephen Miller to do this, which is like, the logical outcome of where all of the Repub- all the Trump messaging was going to go, which is just to explicitly state that the Democrats are against white people. You know, they've been dog whistling at it for decades, but now they're just Stephen Miller's. Like, let's just go, let's just go for what, go for the real thing,
1: right? I mean, that's the thing that I think is like kind of crazy is that we are in a situation now where, like, that is full on white supremacist talk, right?
5: Chris Hayes tweeted something where he was like, "There is no difference between what David Dukes says and what Stephen Miller says at
1: this point. No, there's no, and there hasn't been for a long time. I mean, Stephen Miller is basically, I mean, he gets a a lot of his ideas from, you know, all of this white nationalist stuff. And, you know, his. the only thing he has going for him that gives people pause that he might not be a white nationalist is that he's Jewish. Mm -hmm. Right. Because generally as a Jew myself, I would say that like, these are not the people you want to go with. You know, if you have a choice, these are not our people, man. So So I just am curious, like, how are those those ads running with a tax deduction?
5: So it's being run by this is a American First Legal. They're a 501c3 nonprofit organization. So that 501c3 basically means that if you donate to the organization, you can write it off with a tax deduction, which is like insane.
1: I mean, shouldn't the IRS, just, I mean, again, I know that it's watching Ted Cruz defund the IRS, like that's the favorite rallying call of conservatives now. But isn't that an important issue?
5: I'm not a lawyer. I don't know what the laws are on free speech and, and what you can say in a, in an ad or not, but it's definitely concerning. I think it's it's one of those things where And this is the struggle with Democrats generally is like if the Republican Party is increasingly just going to say that the Democratic Party is coddling, you know, is the Democratic Party fights for undeserving people of color and are being coddled by liberal elites and they're against white people and and now Asians, that the Democrats like they need a better message than just saying that ad is racist. And that's what a lot of people were saying once I posted the ad that I, I saw was like, this ad is so racist. And I'm like. Yes. But I also think this ad is effective. I think if you're just like, if you're just receiving this at your house, you're like, yeah, like maybe maybe I feel discriminated against and in some way. And I think that or I feel left out. Yeah, I think Democrats need to get way better at saying something basically along the lines of like the Republican Party is doing everything they can to make you think that they are fighting for you when when. As soon as they get power, they're going to cut your Social Security, they're going to cut your Medicare, they're going to cut your Medicaid, and they're going to give tax breaks to their corporate donors. And all this race stuff is just a trick for you to think that they're fighting for you because of your skin color. When it's just a ploy, they're going to swindle you.
1: Right, 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 right.
5: And I I haven't seen Democrats really make that case so explicitly that all this stuff we hear during election season in the last two months about the election when about Black Lives Matter, about crime, about trans kids, about, you know, all the things they they waive in the last two months of the election, like that, it's all just a strategy for them to distract from their economic agenda, which is to, you know, allow their corporate donors to jack up prices as high as they want and essentially loot working people across the country.
1: Thank you so much, Waleed.
5: Thank you so much for having me. And now your
0: moment of fuckery.
1: Jesse Cannon.
0: Molly Jung, Fast.
1: We've hit our segment, A Moment of Fuckery. And today, for our moment of fuckery... We have media fuckery, which is its own kind of fuckery.
0: Should that be muckery?
1: Muckery. It should be muckery. Mm. We have muckery fuckery, (laughs) which is media fuckery. (laughs) And I want to talk about Biden gave a speech. The journalist from NPR was like another speech. I mean, it's democracy. The death of democracy. It might merit more than one speech. He gave a speech at Union Station in Washington, D.C., It was a speech that is like, honestly, what I say when I'm interviewed by European television stations, which seems to happen weirdly a lot right now, which is you should vote for democracy. And there are certainly a few races like that Arizona Senate race, the Arizona Secretary of State race, the Nevada statewide races, all of those races are uh, the Republicans on the ticket no longer believe in democracy and, and even don't really even believe in counting the vote. President Biden found that upsetting. I can't imagine why. And so he gave a speech which basically said, please, let's try to vote to keep democracy going. This should not be a controversial statement, right? We're a representative democracy, but we are a democracy, and, and it's worked for us for a long time. And so the side to fascism is, a, a in my mind, a bad choice. Mm-hmm. So, but instead, there was a lot of two-sidesing of this. I don't know who suggested Biden give a speech at Union Station, but it was a terrible idea.
0: <laughs> don't you think most of these people who are mad about this are just mad that the Starbucks closed and they're mad about this? The blue bottle being in there.
1: I don't understand what. Is there not a Starbucks in there? I was like in there for like 20 minutes the other day trying to find the Starbucks.
0: I, I, any, any time a Starbucks closes, I, you, you call me shocked and I hate Starbucks.
1: Oh, that's, is I a, still know
0: that people value it.
1: The topics that Biden, primetime presidential speech, he, the two topics that didn't make it, inflation and the economy. Democracy is clearly where, what Biden wanted to talk about. I mean, yeah. OK, it should be noted that the president had chosen an evening address to focus on the importance of democracy rather than topics that are proving difficult for Democrats. So a lot of the criticism was that, you know, there wasn't talk about inflation. But but ultimately, people know about inflation. The thing that we should all be really concerned with is democracy. Another tweet terrible optics from the White House. Why isn't the presidential seal on there? Um, And of course, you have to remember that this presidential White House is extremely worried about the Hatch Act. Before the Trump administration, uh, the Hatch Act used to mean something. So for that, uh, the muckery fuckery gets a hearty fuck you from uh, this here podcast. That's it for this episode of Fast Politics. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to hear the best minds in politics make sense of all this chaos. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please send it to a friend and keep the conversation going. And again, thanks for listening.
3: When you drive a vehicle so reliable, it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty. You stop thinking about what you can't do